Yeah, so I was uh, out of town uh, studying, like I think it was in New Orleans a couple of summers ago, and it was during Adventure Week, and uh, Alan Bishop, who's our multi-campus director, helps oversee our children's ministry at all five of our campuses, he sends me uh, this text picture, and my son Iyasu at Adventure Week uh, gave his life to Jesus. So uh, I tell you, as a parent and as a pastor, wow, Adventure Week is, is just amazing. What an opportunity it is. I want to encourage you parents and uh, to sign your child up. If you want to volunteer, if you want to help, there are so many ways to help. You don't even have to help during the event. They've got great opportunities for you. So at all of our lobby spaces, uh, you can go out and, and, and sign up for the rescue operation, which is kind of the theme. And uh, we'd love to plug you in that way. Or you can sign your kid up or you can go to rockbridge.cc forward slash summer events, and we're praying for kids to give their life to Jesus, to go deeper with Jesus, and then we get to celebrate with them uh, through baptism. And uh, church-wide, we've got baptisms coming up on uh, on the 20th of May, and so I want to encourage you, if your next step is to go be obedient, go public, give your life to Christ, and, and tell everybody about it, and baptize the way Jesus was, I just encourage you to uh, sign up for that, encourage you, however your campus is going to celebrate baptism in that, that day, or however it's orchestrated. You'll see that in your bulletins. Please, as church members, as Rockbridgers, come celebrate this because, man, this is just an amazing, amazing uh, moment. Also, coming up uh, next, this next Wednesday night, we have First Wednesday, which if you are a Rockbridger as your pastor, I beg, I plead, make this service a priority because it is when we collectively cry out to God uh, on behalf uh, or by the blood of Jesus, ask Him to move in our midst. Also, when we take uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, I will be in the Calhoun campus uh, on this uh, First Wednesday. I'm going to be making a tour of all five campuses, doing some town hall Q&A, so I'll get to your campus. Uh, eventually over, over the next several months. Look forward to spending some time with our brothers and sisters down in our Calhoun campus, and so we'll, we'll see you then. So, okay, we are in the middle of a series called Habits, Vices, and Sins, Oh My. So, uh, if you don't like talking about sin, this is the wrong time to be uh, in church because we're talking about seven of them that the church has been talking about for since 400-ish uh, A.D. The, the leaders of the church, the, the theologians, the, the pastors, they kind of said, hey, there's seven sins that just sort of open doors to a lot of other things. And they categorize the, these sins, and we've been talking about them and struggling together with them. And if you've missed a sermon or two along the way, you can go to our website. You can pick up a CD uh, in a lobby space to, to get you caught up. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the sin that starts with a word that drives a lot of your life, a, a sin that starts with the word that drives our economy, that drives our country, America. And the word is more. It is more. It's a, it's a word that runs our lives, our hearts, our country, and our economy. So more, it, it, even though it's a four-letter word, is not a bad word. I mean, when you say, hey, I, I want more of God, there's nothing wrong with that. When you say, I want more justice or I, I want more equality, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, those are, those are kind of holy desires. When you say, hey, I want more for my kids than, than peer pressure and drugs, there's nothing wrong with that. You would say, I want more knowledge or I want to do, uh, I want more of something. There's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, we start saying, hey, well, I want more money. Or at some point, we start saying, I, you know, I want more stuff. 
And, and so this word more gets mixed in with our, with our sinful mess and with our lives that, that exist apart from God. And at some point, this word more goes from being a very, very good thing in our lives to being a very, very dangerous thing in our lives. And that's when it crosses over into this word greed, when it crosses over into the word greed. And that's when more gets dangerous. That's when more gets problematic. And so I'm going to make a statement because of some unique challenges that we have in America that living in America, because of this word right here, and it's ease of, of us crossing, the, it's easier to cross the line from more into more where it becomes greed in America than other places. I'm going to make a statement. Syria is like a, a, a terrible place, right? War, injustice, chemical weapons being used, civil war for years and years and years and years. In some ways, America today is more dangerous than Syria. And let me back that up scripturally, okay? First, First Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. You don't even have to have money to love money, right? And by craving it, that's where we cross to greed, some have wandered away from the faith, left the faith of Christianity, and pierced themselves with many griefs. So there are, there's a danger of living in what we'll call a first world country, the West, America, Australia, Great Britain, France. There's a danger in living in America that, does, that might not exist in other places because of this thing called greed and because of its power and because, because of its potential. And, and what's hap, what sometimes happens in America is we have desires that go to wants. And even now we've taken our wants and made them rights. Like, I'm entitled to. So our noble democracy, one of the greatest forms of government ever invented, a lot of us view America as this, this giant supermarket for me to grab what I have a right to, and really it's just a polluted, converted, corrupted desire that where more has gone into greed, and it's crossed that line, and it becomes dangerous for us. So let me define greed for for us. Greed is where we get preoccupied with possessing something. Well, you, possessing something or we become uh, less generous and it's when we desire more so we can say mine. When we go, hey, I want more of this so I can say it's mine and behind that desire to say it's mine so, it can, so I can feel like I am somebody, if I have that kind of clothes, that kind of car, that amount of money, I'm okay. That's where more and greed is an identity, an existential crisis, an existential problem. Sometimes when we desire more, hey, I want more of this or more of that so I can feel safe, so I can feel secure, or so I can be in control. And so suddenly we're looking to whatever we want more of to give us an identity, to give us security, to give us control, which is what we should be looking to God for. And that's when more becomes dangerous. And that's why it's so easy to wander away from God in America. As Jesus said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So that's the dangers that we have. Now, here, here's an interesting thing, because some of you are like, hey, I don't have to worry about that sin because I ain't got anything, you know? Uh, listen. <laughs> It doesn't mean you have to, this, this greed sin is not about, it's not a rich person's sin. It's, a, it's not a socioeconomic class of sin. It's a heart issue. So you can have, you can be physically or materialistically in poverty. You can be paycheck to paycheck, but your heart is all about, I just wish I had, I just need more of money or more. So greed is not just, hey, this class of people economically. It's all people that, that can kind of get corrupted, that can kind of get wrapped up in greed. And here's the problem with greed, because it's like bad breath. You don't know you have it sometimes. 
Because I, I would be willing to bet if we did a survey and we were all completely honest, probably you, you, know, you might have said, God, please forgive me for using a four-letter word. God, please forgive me for, for the lust in my heart. God, I lost my temper. Very few people at night are going to bed and say, Lord, now I lay my soul down to sleep. Forgive me for being greedy. It camouflages itself, does it not? Because you could say, hey, the reason I have so much money or the reason I want so much money is because I'm going to be responsible and it's going to be my rainy day fund. You know, you could say, hey, this is what it's, to, to, hey, we live in America. You got to have this. You got to have that. If I'm going to be successful, I've got to look like this, dress like that, drive this kind of car. So, and, and, you, and, you, and you go to bed, and you're like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what you've got to do here in America. So it can camouflage itself. And so what we're going to try to do today is help, our, help us all identify, has the more in my heart, and we're all wired for more. Nothing wrong with more. God put Adam and Eve in a garden. He said, the whole world is yours. Go out, fill it, be fruitful. There's more for you than this garden. It's wired in you. Nothing wrong with more. But when it crosses the line... In the greed, we're in dangerous territory. So we're going to give you some questions out of a text of Scripture to help us say, has my heart crossed over to more, or from more into greed? If you have your Bibles, first book, book of Genesis. We're going to study two guys, contrast them. They're related. Their name are Abram and Lot. Abraham will, Abram will later become Abraham. And this whole story is really an undercurrent of the dangers of greed. So if you have your Bibles... Genesis chapter 13, we begin reading the Word of God, verse 1. Abram went up from Egypt to Negev, he, his wife, and all he had, and Lot with him. And so the author of Genesis, is, who is Moses, or, or some students of Moses, is going to real shrewdly compare Abraham or Abram and Lot. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. So let me make a statement. There is nothing wrong with having stuff. There is nothing wrong with being rich. There is no problem whatsoever with that. That's never, ever condemned. It's ne we never see that that's a problem in, in Scripture, okay? So Abraham, or Abram, is a rich man, and he's a man of faith, and we're going to see him flesh that out. So Abraham was very rich. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had formerly been, to the site where he had built the altar. So this passage of Scripture that we're going to read today is bracketed with an altar on the front of the story and an altar on the back of the story. So it starts with this altar, and Abraham called on the name of the Lord there. So there's this concept of worship. So Abram, Abram is a rich man, but he's a worshiper of Yahweh. He's a worshiper of God. His heart is set on God. And so it's like he goes where God takes him to go. He goes and obeys God. That's how he got to this area in the first place. He left modern-day Iraq and Iran and came to what we now call Israel or the Promised Land because he was a God follower and a God seeker. So the first question, Abraham, Abram is not the greedy person in the story, so I'll let you on the secret. The first question I want to ask, and it's to decide, hey, have I crossed over from more into greed, is this. Is God to you more like a treasure map, or is God the treasure? All right? Because there's a lot of people, a lot of pastors, a lot of theologians who treat and talk to God or talk about God to their teach, to their people, to, on the TV set, like God is, like God is a treasure map. You follow God, he'll make you prosperous. You follow God, you'll get more of what you want. And you want more money, you want more health, you want more this, you want more that, you want more material goods, you want this house, you want this car, God's your treasure map. But what you see with Abram is he just goes where God tells him to go because God's his treasure. 
God is what he wants. God is who he has. God is who he lives for. And oh, by the way, he just happens to be rich. But he's rich toward God first. And, and that's so, so, so important. So let me, let me talk to a very special group of people. Okay? Some of you have a spiritual gift, and it's the spiritual gift of making money. Some of you wish you had that gift, but that's another story, okay? Uh, and Paul says to be content with the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives you in accordance with his sovereignty. So it's okay to be rich. Just know why God's made you rich. Abraham is rich, and he knows why God has made him rich, because God is his treasure. His earthly treasures are not his life and eternal treasures. God is. So here, here's the problem with using God as your treasure map. At some point, when you think of God as your treasure map, you will come to believe that God has led you on a wild goose chase, and you will come to doubt God, and, you're fa and you will want to leave God because you're like, God, I didn't want to end up here. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I bargained for. God, you're a lousy map. God, you're a terrible guide. God, where's my treasure? Some of you have left the faith because of that very reason. Because you started following God, not because you discovered God was what your heart was set for, made for, and created for. You decided to follow God because you thought God was your ticket somewhere or to something. That's greed, not God, at work in your life. So that's the question. Is God more like a treasure map or is he the treasure? Because let me say this. There's nothing wrong with more until more means less of God. Nothing wrong with more until more means less of God. Now we're going to start talking about Lot. Now Lot, and the author in verse 5 is drawing this contrast. Here's Abram, rich, and he's worshiping Yahweh. Now Lot, who was traveling with Abram, also had, so Lot's a rich guy too, flocks, herds, and tents, but the land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together, for they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was quarreling between the herdsmen of Abram's flock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land. So the land can't support both of them. So this is the tension in the story. The tension in the story is created by stuff. You know what one of the four... Big problems in marriages are? One of them's money. Stuff. Okay? Stuff is one of the problems in relationships. And we see where stuff starts to cause friction and start to cause problems. So the tension in this story, interesting enough, is not a sin yet. The tension in this story is not somebody got mad at somebody yet. The tension in the story is that they had too much stuff. And so the question is, how, how is this tension, this potential, this quarreling, this conflict, how is it going to get resolved between Abram and Lot? And here's the, here's the amazing statement, an amazing moment of the story. Verse 8, Abram said to Lot, and that why this is significant is because Abram is the senior guy. He's the, he's, got the, he's the elder, he's the seniority, he's the one who's wealthy. Lot has kind of gotten rich by hanging out with his uncle Abram, okay? So Abram says to Lot, please, let us not have quarreling between you and me. First thing is Abram's a peacemaker, and his peace does not come through his stuff. Let us not have quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, since we are relatives. Isn't the whole land before you? Listen to what he says, separate from me. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. Abraham's like, you pick. Now, you see the temptation here. You see the test here. 
Lot can pick what is, looks like the best land. And if you have the best land, guess what? You can make the most money, which would be in the form of crops. It's an agrarian, herdsman, tribal economy and tribal things. So, uh, hey, Lot, you pick. It's like, hey, there's two cookies left. Hey, which cookie do you want? I mean, my kids always pick the bigger one for themselves, right? That's greed, you know? I mean, that's in the human heart. I didn't teach my kids that, at least I don't think I did. I think they came by it honestly or something, uh, which is from sin nature in my boys, okay? I mean, it's just our nature. Hey, which car do you want? Your, your first thing is, which one I like the most? Which one's the best? So we just kind of think that way, but Abraham doesn't think that way. Abraham's like, you choose Lot. Now, Abraham has the right to choose whatever or do whatever because he's the senior guy, but that's not the question that's running in his heart. The question in Abraham's not, heart is not, can, how can I, is not, how can I get what's best for me? Second question, greed. Am I trying to fill my emptiness or share my fullness? Am I trying to share my, or fill my emptiness? And we will use possessions and money to try to fill a soul void. We will try to solve a spiritual, existential, why am I here crisis with money possessions. Have you ever thought this? If I owned that, I'd feel better about myself. Have you ever thought if I had more of, then I'd have suddenly have arrived and I'd feel content, I'd feel satisfied? And that doesn't have to be about me. It could be in your job. If I just got this promotion, if I just got this advancement, if I just reached this income level, if I just didn't drive this beat up old car, whatever the case may be, the question is, am I trying to fill my emptiness or share my fullness? And so Abraham's like, I don't have anything to lose because I'm a worshiper of God. I'm a worshiper of Yahweh. So I'll let Lot choose. Abraham has, has had this epiphany moment moment that I, that I pray for our church, for, for our church members. Honestly, there's something more that God wants for you than just missing hell. And you're put here for a reason. And let me tell you why you're put here if you're a Christ follower. You were put here, and Abraham gets it, to be blessed, to be a blessing. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you so you cannot spend those blessings on yourself, so you can spend those blessings helping other people, and blessing other people. That When we talk about this, we say, love God, love others, live sent. When we say, hey, go invite others to church with you. When we say, hey, we want to see 400 people baptized or 10,000 people baptized, that's because we have something in us Christians that we want to overflow and bless the world with, and that is the sufficiency and the superior satisfaction that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is better than land. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better than sex. Jesus is better than stuff. We've found the treasure, not the treasure map and we want the whole world to share it because there's enough of Jesus for anybody who will call on his name in faith. So, so, so that's kind of why we're here. So let's call timeout. Stop. First thing that comes to your mind when I say, boom, you get $1,000. What do you want to do? Ready? $1,000. Spend it, save it, give it, or, go, or pay off debt. Sort of tells you where you are right there, right? It's a heart. That's, why, that's why money is such a heart question, isn't it? It's not a math or a financial or an economic question. It's a heart question. Somebody gives you $1,000. Ready? Ready? Boom. Spend it, save it, give it, or pay off debt. And that tells you right where you are. Because some of you are like, I'd like to spend it, but I got debt. I'd like to give it, but I got debt. I don't have, I mean, it's just a, such a revealing question. Am I trying to fill my emptiness or share my fullness? So now the, the next question in our story is this. What's Lot going to do? Abraham has just given him freedom of choice. Isn't that what all of us want? I want to be free. I want to make choices. I want to, have, I want to choose for myself. That's what Lot does. So Lot looked. 
If you go to the next slide. Lot looked out and saw that the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, was well watered everywhere like the Lord's garden. Meaning, we're, we're talking Eden-like. Genesis 1 and 2, Eden-like. So he's doing what, hey, this is the bigger cookie. This is the better car. This is the greater opportunity to make money. This is the better stock. This is the better job. I'm going to choose what's best for me because Lot is trying to fill something. Abraham is trying to give something. And the author wants us to know that Lot is on the verge of stupid. Remember, we're all one decision away from stupid. Lot is on the verge of stupid. And here's how the author of Genesis clues us in to Lot's stupidity. This was before, next slide, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot is going to take the land near Sodom and Gomorrah, which is one of those evil, evil places in the Bible in the Old Testament. So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. In the book of Genesis, east is, I'll go back, in the book of Genesis, east is associated when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden because of evil. So east, he kicked them toward the east. East is always this connotation of don't go east. Okay, wrong way. So people in, the, people in the Hebrew people who are reading this or hearing this as it's being read orally to them or said orally to them are like, whoa, Lot's going stupid, Lot's going stupid. So he's like, he, Indiana Jones, like you have chosen poorly, right? That's kind of where, where we are, all right? So how, how is the path or the pattern in your heart of greed? Here's what it looks like. We stare at what we lack, I don't have a good piece of land. I don't have a good car. I don't have enough money. I don't have the right job. I don't have the right clothes. And, and we're attracted to what we don't have. Have you ever noticed that? Like we're attracted to what we don't have. We don't focus on what God is giving us in any given moment. We focus on what he has not given us or is not giving us or seemingly will not give us or what life is not giving us. And then we work ourselves up in our heart because our focus is on we, what we lack. It stirs up us to discontentment. And suddenly we're like, man, I'm just not happy, but I'd be happy if I had what I lack. That's just kind of what your heart is. And, and the way we get disappointed is, is not because sometimes we don't have our needs met. It's because we don't have our wants met. So it stirs us up to disappointment. And then this factor in us can make smart seem, seem stupid. You, you need to write that down. Greed can make smart seem stupid. Sin can make smart seem stupid. Bad desires can make smart seem stupid. And, and, and so let's look at where Lot goes. We're going to fast forward a little bit. So Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, but Lot lived in the cities on the plain and set up his tent, and notice, 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 very important, near Sodom. And then the author says this, just to make sure we don't miss the hint, hint, hint. Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immediately, immensely against the Lord. You go one chapter over into Genesis 14, 11 and 12. Look at what's happened to Lot. He set up his tent near Sodom. Now look, so the four kings took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's a war and all their food and went on. They also took Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions because your possessions are never secured. You know that? Anything you possess that's earthly, you'll lose it eventually. When they put you in a casket, when the market crashes, when you're, the industry that you make goes away, I mean, eventually. So they took his possessions for he was living not near Sodom, but in Sodom. And they went on. Smart greed can make smart 
look or seem or stupid look smart. So look at the look at what's happened with Lot. It's real simple, and this is what greed does. Greed always puts relationships and love at risk because you start to put your value on possessions over people. It will get so bad for Lot that angels will come to Sodom and Gomorrah to investigate the level of evil. And they will come to his house, and the men of the city will desire to have sex and rape the angels. And Lot will offer his daughter to the evil men of the city. Because what will greed do? Make stupid look smart. And it's years later that you say, I chased a job and lost my family. It's years later that you say, I lived for money and lost my soul. It's years later that you say, did a survey with college students. College students, enter college, what's your number one desire? Hey, I want to make a difference in the world. Hey, I want to be a blessing. Great. Four years later, in four years, when they leave college, what do you want to do? I want to make money and make a name for myself. In four years, you get jaded. In four years, you go from I want to be a blessing to I just want me, 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 me. That's our hearts, folks. Stupid looks smart. And then it's years later where we've sacrificed our families or our character or our faith on the altar of greed. Because the path of more creates more problems. The path of more creates more problems. So it's interesting, you know, that we want this freedom to choose. And Abram gave Lot this freedom to choose. And we think, hey, we're free. I can choose this. I can choose that. I can have this. And money gives me more options. And money gives me more choices. And we've got all these things to choose from. But we lack the internal compass to choose wisely. Unless our heart compass gets set to true north, which is God is my treasure, not my treasure map. So what happens to Abram? We see where Lot's going. We see where his path takes him. What happens to Abram? So after Lot had separated from him, back to chapter 13, verse 14. After Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, who just said, Lot, you go with you. Whichever way you go, I go the opposite. Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west, for I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and went to the oaks near Mamre at Hebron where he built an altar, where he worshipped to the Lord. That ends the story. Abram starts with worship. He ends with worship. He gets blessed in between, but he's blessed to be a blessing. If you're a Christ follower here today, you're being blessed through Abram. And Abram's faith. He's the father of our faith. See, here, here's the other question, or another question about crossing the line from more into greed is this. We ask this question, what will God do versus what will stuff and money do? It's a hope question. It's an expectancy question. So you can ask yourself the question this way. Are you expecting more from stuff or getting more stuff? Or are you expecting more from God? Is your hope the hope of your soul, the hope of your life in getting the job, getting the car, getting the girl, getting the promotion? Or is your, are you hoping in God and expecting something from God? 
and expecting God to work in and through your life and expecting God to work on you and expecting God to use you and expecting God to bless you and expecting God to do more in you or is all your hope on something temporary, something potential that can be lost? Now, the author of Hebrews, fast forward all the way to the New Testament, tells us where Abraham's hope was. And here's what it is. And even when he reached the land God promised him, speaking of Abram, he lived there by faith. He lived there by faith. He didn't live there by what he had. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. He was never at home, it says. It goes on, it says, And so did Isaac and Jacob, so his descendants, who inherited the same promise of land. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So after all these people died, still believing the family of Abram, died believing what God had promised them, they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Their hope was in eternity, in eternal things, in eternal blessings, not in earthly things or earthly blessings. God was their treasure, guiding them to the eternal city himself, Revelation 22, 21 and 22. All right, so if you've crossed the line into greed, or you don't want to cross the line into greed, because greed's one of those things you need a guardrail. So it's like this. If you're going around a sharp turn and there's a cliff on the other side, what do you want to hit, the cliff or the guardrail? So you need for greed to not cross this line into dangerous things. Hello, Lot, living near, living in, being almost destroyed in Sodom. So you need a guardrail, and we need ways to protect ourselves and push ourselves forward. So what is the solution to not crossing this line, all right? Here's the real, here's the real deal. You need to know what the real tragedy is. The real tragedy is not knowing why, okay? Because, and and let, me, let me unpack that. The real tragedy, and I'm going to break it down to two things. Not knowing why. Not knowing why you have more. If you have resources, you've got some savings, you've got a car, you've got a house, you've got a job. You ever ask yourself, hey, God, why do I have more? I think it'd be a tragedy if you didn't know why you have more. Now, here's what, here's what I know. When you don't have more, like if you've ever gone through, hey, i got to eat peanut butter and jelly for the next six months because I, don't, I can't afford food or I can't pay my bills, you've asked God, hey, God, why don't I have enough? But when you get enough, you ever stop and say, God, why do I have enough? Why do I have more than enough? So that'd be a tragedy if you didn't know why you had more than enough because you're blessed to be a blessing. So why do you have more? Second thing is why do you want more? Maybe, maybe you're a college student and, and you're trying to pay your tuition. Maybe you're, you know, you're paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're in debt and you want to get out of debt. And that's not a bad goal. It's a great goal. So you're saying, hey, I want more. I want more. Why do you want more? If you want more because you think having more of X or more of Y or more of this or more of that is the key to your happiness, that's a problem. That's a soul problem, not a materialistic problem. That's a heart problem, not an economic financial problem. So you need to know why you have more and why you want more, okay? It's okay to pray the prayer, God bless me so I can bless others. God bless me so I can have a greater platform for your glory to share you with more people. That's good. But if you're sitting here praying, God, I want more, and you don't know why you want more, and really when you dig down deep into places you don't talk about a lot, and the reason you want more is because you think that's the key to your happiness, and that's the key to your soul, and God's your treasure map, and you've crossed over into greed. Got to know why. You have more, and why you want more. Second thing, and this is more of the guardrail. We need to have the habit of letting go. 
the habit of living open-handed. So it's interesting. God wants to bless people through you. And the way God protects you from greed is he asks you to let go of stuff. He asks you to tithe. He asks you to give money. He asks you to finance the kingdom through the church. So you have to have the habit of letting go. Now, let's start at the beginning. This means you need to have financial margin. This means the amount coming in needs to be more than the amount going out. Okay? This means that you have to say no to the allure of credit and, and things like that. And so you need financial margin. Because, listen, if you're sitting here thinking, if I had more, here's how I'd spend it. And you're living with this pressure. And when the pressure's on, you're always going to choose yourself. Or you're going to try to protect yourself. And so you don't have options of, of being a generous person. So you need financial margin. So I, I want to tell you something. You can take that next step card that's in your seat back or somewhere in front of you or under you. And you can say, hey, I'm stuck. I need help getting financial margin. There's a, there's a slot on there. And we have trained people who will help you. If you'd rather not use the connection card, here's an email address. Brenda McClure. She's our church administrator. She's been trained in this curriculum that we use. And she or someone that... That she, a volunteer team that she has, people who are good with money, people who can help you, because sometimes it gets foggy, doesn't it? We want to help you get margin. We want to help you get healthy financially, all right? So you can just write down Brenda at robberies.cc, shoot her an email anytime. She'll get back to you. She'll schedule something. She'll get it worked out. It can be one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it takes. We want to help you confidentially, discreetly, doesn't matter. We want to help you in this area. We want you to have freedom in this area. We want you to realize the blessing of being a blessing. But we have to get to the goal, and the goal is to develop the habit of letting go. So what does the habit of letting go look like? I'm going to talk about it in three ways. Number one is meaning consistently. Here's what that means. Every time I get paid, the first thing I do is give. Every time I get paid, the first thing I do is give. Every time I get paid, the first thing I do is give. Every time I get paid... The first thing I do is give. That is a guardrail against greed, and that is a guide to being a blessing. Two beautiful things God's put in place. All right? So, uh, listen, here, here's the way Beth and I do it, okay? I don't carry cash. I don't carry a, a checkbook. It's just maybe that's my generation. I just go to robberies.cc forward slash give, and I give online. And it's just automatic every month. First time for, we get paid once a month, for, boom, boom, just like clockwork, Okay? And I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. And I get an email, and I get to say, thank you, Lord, for letting me give. And I know, I mean, I give to Rockbridge. I give to Compassion International. Those are my two. Uh, I give my tithe to Rockbridge, get a little more. And we have the Bold Initiative. And then we give to Compassion, okay? That's just the way it works in the Evans household. You pray about it. You discern. Uh, but that's the way it works for us, and so we get to praise God and thank God for the blessing of giving. So first is we need the habit of letting go consistently. Second and third, we need the habit of letting go sacrificially and spontaneously. So let me talk about those a little bit. Sacrificially is this. I get concerned when we don't give enough that it actually affects our lifestyle. Because I think when, when we give just enough to kind of ease the guilt or ease the conscience or try to make sure the pastor didn't, you know, sees it or whatever, um, uh, I, I get nervous that if it's not affecting our lifestyle, we might have a greed problem in our heart. Some of you make so much money, 10% is nothing for you. And God's goal is not 10%. God's goal is generosity. 
Okay, so just get, you gotta think, keep that in mind. Some of you, you're single moms, you're paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> God knows your heart. So, but we wanna give sacrificially and then we wanna be able to give spontane- spontaneously. Like if, we, if you walked out of here today or I shared this major need, hey, it just popped on our horizon and we need to bless or we need to help a missionary that's on the front lines over in a, over in a difficult place and, and we need to raise money right now, Rockbridge. I mean, how many of you would even be able to wanna be able to participate in a God-given opportunity like that? So we need to be able to give spontaneously. All right, this is a good time for us to stop and for me just to let, show you a video and update you on how many of you are giving sacrificially to advance the kingdom in Northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley through our bold initiative, which is us getting platforms in place in five communities and or more so we can connect as many people as God would allow to life in Christ. This is Tim Irwin. He's the chairman of our elders, and he's going to give you a bold initiative update. In Calhoun and Ringo, we continue to experience the challenge of growth at both campuses. In fact, this Easter, we welcomed over 2,500 people to both campuses combined. Rockbridgers continue to invite their friends and family to our campuses, but ultimately, we understand the need for more space in Calhoun and Ringo. When we kicked off the Bold Initiative in 2015, $6.1 million was pledged. Today, $5.4 million of that has been given. Through those funds, we've been able to secure the steel for both our buildings. We've started digging footings here in Calhoun. We'll soon be pouring concrete and raising the structure. In Ringo, originally we had a contractor who was going to move the dirt for us. Even though those plans have fallen through, engineers have begun to prepare options for us to stay on budget and continue moving the project full steam ahead. In 2016, we were able to launch the Chatsworth campus completely debt free. Because of your generosity, we're under discussions that will allow us to launch this campus here in Calhoun completely debt-free. In fact, we're 82% there. If we raise another $700,000 in the next several months, we'll be able to do just that. Ultimately, the more we can remain debt-free, it allows us to launch new campuses, to fund ministries, and to connect 10,000 people to life in Christ. Since March last year, 146 people have joined the Bold Initiative, and it's not too late for you to get involved. It's an opportunity to become a part of something that's bigger than all of us. If you're interested or want to join the Bold Initiative, go to rockbridge.cc bold. Thank you, Rockbridgers, for living boldly, giving generously, and helping to position ourselves to connect more people to life in Christ. So just share that, that update with you and say praise God. Thank you, God, for letting us have the privilege of giving. If you're like in the Hickson campus, your campus came into existence because people in the other four campuses gave for us to launch a campus in, in, in the suburb there, the northern southern suburb of, of Chattanooga, and to help us reach more people. If you're in the Dalton campus, we expanded our, our second story of our children's ministry, created better entrance and exit points in the Wink Theater, and got some more plans for, for restroom improvements in the Wink and some modifications even in in stage 123. So Bold Initiative is continuing because people are giving sacrificially and people are giving spontaneously. And let me just tell you something, okay? Um, I want you to know this because some of you might be new to church or new to Christianity and you're suspicious or you don't know, but let me just tell you something. You know how the gospel spreads? Financially, it spreads because people who have been saved are blessers, not takers. Christians are givers, not takers. 
Because we've been given something. And that's the final question I want to ask you. How do you really know Jesus? How do you really know Jesus? Treasure map? Or does this describe the Jesus you know? Philippians 3, 8 through 9. I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's pray together. God, I read those verses out loud and uh, just marvel that Christ is so worthy, that Christ is such a treasure, that all other treasures pale in comparison, and all other treasures are worthless in comparison to the treasure that is Jesus. God, I want to pray for everybody right now just to look inside their heart. Before we look in our wallets, our bank accounts, let's look inside our hearts and ask this question, and Holy Spirit, you help us. How do we know you, Jesus? Do we know you as the surpassing value? Do we know you as the treasure? Do we know you as the king? Do we know you as our source? Do we know you as our life? Do we know you, God, as our source of satisfaction, joy, and peace forevermore? Do we look to you with expectancy and hope? Do we look to you, King Jesus, as our identity, our peace and security? Or, God, are we looking to stuff? And for some people here today, that's a heaven or hell. That's the salvation question. So, Holy Spirit, if there's anybody here today that needs to say yes to Jesus as King, yes to Jesus as Savior, yes to Jesus as Treasure, yes to Jesus as Lord, Holy Spirit, give them that yes in their heart. And may they step out, step up, be baptized, and say, Jesus, I am yours, and you are mine. Thank you, Jesus, for being a worthy Savior, a worthy King. And it's in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.